Welcome to the cocoon, where the 99% transform into 100%. I'm your host, Michael Baker, and you're listening to the Open Door Podcast Series. Please welcome my guest, Drew Little. Drew, thank you for, for doing this today. I, uh, I'm so grateful. It's been a long time since we've talked, and I feel like we could talk for hours, so I'm going to listen a lot to see what's going on with you, man. You're, you're you know, a social entrepreneur in Richmond, Virginia. Yes. Yep. yep. Still in Richmond. Nice. Close to moving to the West Coast, but uh, opportunity came up here in Richmond, and um, I feel it still has a lot of untapped potential. Nice. I'm really trying to help realize that here. And you were actually going to move to the to the West Coast. Yeah, to Oakland. I was really close to moving to Oakland. Um, was doing a, a retreat with this organization called um, Generation Wake Up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and see, uh, and they're based in um, they're based in Oakland too. But they uh, called me over to, to help them run a retreat with some um, with some of their fellows, and we got in good. And um, I was really close to moving out there, but uh, like I said, another opportunity came up here in Richmond, and just again, I see a lot of untapped potential here. And um, yeah, want to stick wow. it out and keep going. Okay, keep going strong. Well, you are actually the first entrepreneur that I actually ever met. I got to tell you that. I mean, really. And who actually called themselves that and as well um, as really kind of, I don't say the only one I know now because people are becoming that, but someone who uh, is in the trenches the way that you are, um, that I have felt, you know, a great camaraderie uh, to. I I felt very akin to that because, um, you know, I felt really alone <laughs> when I was, you know, doing this work and I was like, you know, what do you call this? I didn't even know what to call, you know, an entrepreneur that was doing these types of things or the types of businesses. I had no name when I met you and it was through our friend, mutual connection, actually, uh, Martin, um, who connected us together. And so why don't you go back for me? And tell me how okay. all this journey began with you uh, in your life to, um, you know, actually, you know, become a social entrepreneur. You know, did you even know what that was? Tell us about your background and, um, you know, where you're from and all that stuff. All right. Great. Um, I'm originally from New Haven, Connecticut, uh, born in a family where I was the first person to actually graduate from uh, high school and go to college. Uh, my mother and father grew up in the segregation era, and, um, you know, school wasn't a big priority. They had to, you know, start working pretty early, I think around, like, uh, 13, 14 years old. Uh, didn't really have, like, a lot of education, but they knew how to they knew how to hustle and, you know, get things done, to, you know, to make it happen for their kids, and I appreciate them. Um, but I played basketball growing up in high school. That's what I thought I was going to do, make it to the NBA. That was my goal. That was my first love. Uh, I didn't want to stay in the Northeast. I wanted to, I wanted to go down to Virginia. Uh, and some people laugh at the reason why I wanted to go to school in Virginia. I just always loved the name Virginia for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> and, uh, okay. and playing basketball uh, with AAU was like a traveling team. We went through Richmond one time. I just liked you know, the environment there. And I was also looking through the book of colleges with uh, my counselor in high school and I saw Virginia Commonwealth University, and I remember when we went through playing basketball, and then I also saw that the it was very diverse. It wasn't just, you know, 
you know, it wasn't just one main ethnic culture there. It was like, you know, all kinds of uh, people there. Because where I'm from is mostly, you know, just African-Americans. Um, and I, went, I, I didn't want to go to like a, you know, either all white school. I wanted to experience all different kind of cultures. Um, and my first year, I just, uh, uh, it was like a have fun basketball, you know, hang out with friends, you know, chase girls, stuff like that. I didn't really um, focus on school like that. Then my second year when I, you know, started to get serious about school, my financial aid was cut back and uh, I was paying out-of-state tuition close to like $23,000 and um, we we maxed out all the loans we can get and it was a choice of either you know um, going back home or staying in Richmond and I decided to stay in Richmond just kind of find myself and you know um, find out what I want to do and my first uh, job out of college was uh, in sales um, I sold <laughs> I sold everything from you know, uh, spa packages to going door to door, going uh, business to business, trying to sell, you know, spa packages to advertising to, you know, chemical supplies. Um, I was just trying to just work at a job just to pay the bills. I wasn't really happy mm-hmm. or passionate about the work I was doing. And then also at the companies I worked at, I had like, you know, future forward ideas for them. But, you know, enrichment is kind of like conservative and traditional and they didn't really want to, you know, try out, you know, some new things that was kind of outside the box. So I knew then that eventually someday I'm going to have to start my own company because I, I have all these ideas. And it's just it's just so uh, frustrating not being able to, you know, realize them and manifest them. Mm. Um, but between between, uh, you know, jobs, um, you know, again, I had to you know pay rent and bills and stuff like that. And. I kind of resulted to what my brothers did, which was, you know, selling drugs. And uh, they sold hard drugs, but I just messed around with, you know, marijuana, which is, you know, legal in a lot of states now, but it's uh, interesting. But, um, you know, uh, eventually got caught up, you know, in that, in that lifestyle. And um, But, again, just doing, you know, messing around with friends and met the wrong person and caught a conspiracy charge. And that's when I went through the legal system and, uh, and uh you know, a lot of people might think that's like a, you know, something bad happened to me, but actually that actually led me on the path to what I'm doing now. So, hmm. you know, I kind of, I'm kind of happy that it happened to me because it changed my life. Um, uh, inside, I was at a prison. So it was, I, I got, I, I was uh, sentenced to, to probation and um, eventually, um, you know, I got to submit monthly reports and I submitted a monthly report late. And my probation officer uh, violated violated me, and she was like, "You have a choice. You can either do uh, three more years of probation, or you could do four year, uh, four months at a prison camp in um, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania." And I said, "Give me them four months so I can be done with the system because wow. it's like an invisible rope around your neck. You got to call in every day. You can't leave the state. You know, just mm-hmm. you just you know." Uh, Paranoia is always around you in some kind of way because even if you just you know meet the wrong person, that's a that's a felon. You can get violated, and, you know. So it was just it was very stressful. Very always, stressful. Always afraid of what I hear is always afraid of slipping up somehow, some way, and then you're done for. That's that feeling, right? Yes, yes, and it's just you know it's, it's a lot better than being inside you know prison. But you know I just 
a lot of people I knew, my family and friends back home, you know, been through the system. I just remember watching what they went through, and I was like, no, I'm not going to get caught up in this. You know, uh, this is a one-time thing, and I kind of, you know, set it in my mind. I was going to treat it like a mind and body boot camp where I just, you know, have time to really think about what I want to do, you know, um, work out and, you know, um, you know, plan my life. And really three things that really, you know, sparked my interest in economics, uh, three things that I witnessed uh, at this prison camp that got me into that field. So let me um, ask you a question there. Did you actually, you said you treated it like a boot camp. You mean when you went to uh, to jail, was it prison or was it uh it was like a camp, so it it's like a, it's kind of like a campus. So it's not like a just no bars, no cells, and nothing okay. like that. Um, the whole, you know, you have a holding, you have a holding cell before you shipped. You like you're not shipped, but you know, you flown out. You like you like I was in Virginia, and they flew me to Pennsylvania. So mm-hmm. the holding cell had was you know had bars and you know bars and stuff like that. But the prison camp, it was like a campus out in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. I see. Okay, and you said that you treated it like a, a camp to basically renew yourself, to build yourself up, to transform yourself is what I'm hearing. Yes, yes, because I was, you know, when, when a lot of people don't think about this, but being on the outside, stuff has always happened. This Stuff happens very fast, but inside there, time slows down, and you really got a lot of time to think. Hmm. And a lot of people really don't have time to think on the outside because they're always doing something, always busy and active. Mm. And I was going to take advantage of that and make the best of it. All right. Let me continue the story. I'm fascinated. I did not know this about you, actually. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so the three things that got me uh, into, like, the path of what I'm doing now, the work I'm doing now, was um, the majority of the charges that people had was related to money in some kind of way. Either, you know, the lack of it, which forced people to do certain things to survive, you know, to do certain, you know, to make money and then greed. So that was the first thing. The second thing I saw, noticed was that, uh, you know, you can call it like I witnessed like slave labor in a sense. They was paying these, you know, the inmates like 30 cents an hour to break down uh, big electronics, big electronic appliances, and they resold the parts for profit. I'm like, wow, that's very interesting. So hmm, interesting. And then... um. The other thing I noticed was inside, you know, you don't have money. So they they kind of created their own, you know, barter economy in a sense. And they use like fish stamp, I mean, uh, fish packs, uh, stamps, cigarettes as their currency to trade, you know, knowledge and skills amongst each other. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> I wonder how that can be on the outside. Can people on the outside do that too? Interesting. You know, really thought about that before. I don't know about you know you know direct barter, right? Right. But they use like a, a they create their own medium of exchange, and I'm like, wow, that's interesting. So when you say their own medium, it wasn't just like, hey, I got some cigarettes, can I have this? Are you actually saying that they actually created a system, or? Yes, a system. So say, what's for what's for example, like they have inside. It's like something I really learned too. In there is limitation spurs creativity. Mm, yeah. You don't have a lot of you know resources at your disposal, so you got to become creative and. Man, like the microwave was like, you know, like a like a full blown oven. The, the stuff that people made inside there, just in the microwave, was like, it was like wow. It's like it came from like a restaurant. Or something. Like, wow, a souffle. Oh. Yeah, a souffle or something like that. They had people. 
people in there that can customize your sneakers with different markers. It's all different wow. kinds of things. So say, you know, haircuts. So say I wanted a haircut, and I'll pay you, you know, with either a cigarettes or stamps or fish packs. And, that, and, they, and those circulated around, you know, the campus. What's a fish pack? Oh, like um, like mackerel or tuna, like a pack of fish. Oh, okay, meat. Yes, yes. Dried meat or, or can, you said canned meat? Oh, no, it was like in the, um, what is it? Not aluminum, but uh, those packs, it's like a, what's the word? Uh, I don't know, is it aluminum or those, uh, you know, those... Uh, the, the ones that packs. you, I know what you're saying. You, you mean they preserve it in a... Um, a type of plastic looking bag, but they uh, can condense it so it's you know it stays you know fresh. Is that what you mean? Yeah, I don't think it's plastic. I think the material is like the I don't know if it's aluminum inside or I don't, I don't know the exact mm. material, but mm-hmm. it helps preserve it. Okay. And what they you know they didn't sell it. They didn't sell like uh, you know like in the metal cans. It was like in the whatever that material is. Right. I don't exactly. Remember. And of course, it wouldn't do metal because people could turn that into a weapon. Yes. 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 Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. I'm. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I'm. I know this system already. I get it. I know because I've been hustling. <laughs> all right. So yeah. So, yeah. So. Uh, so yeah. I was just noticing all that out, and it sparked my interest in economics. So I started reading, um, you know, different books on economics, like the The Wealth of Nations by Adam Smith. Um, I was reading the autobiography of Alan Greenspan. The the um, former chairman of the, the Federal Reserve, and then I was studying some of the work that Martin Luther King and Malcolm X were doing on the, like the like the second I call it the second phase of their lives where they kind of had like a epiphany of like okay it was time to like make a, like a little pivot here, and you know the the pivot two of the pivots that they made they start, that they started going to was economics before they got assassinated. And, you know, a lot of people know about the I Have a Dream speech from Martin Luther King, but they don't know about Operation Breadbasket mm. when he was using economic protest and learning how, you know, how other immigrants got, you know, was granted land and all the resources to help make themselves self-sufficient. And they wanted they were about to go to, you know, Washington and say, hey, where, where are that? You know, because we helped, you know, you know. 400 years of slavery and but they, they did a lot of different stuff but if you just google operation breadbasket fascinating that would just you know yeah I, give I, you a lot of uh, ideas on how he used uh, economic protests to really make some impactful change really impactful that's a whole we'll do a whole show just you and i talking about that because that is fascinating and and i too have you know was listening to some uh, speeches that he made and i was like what you know martin was talking about it was about economics it was about yeah. that he was talking yeah. he, you know people keep thinking oh it was just about black people and all what he was talking about equality yeah. of people and yeah. um yeah. you know that's where that speech my favorite speech um it was uh what's it called uh the drum major instinct the drum the <clears throat> drum major instinct have you heard that one no, I haven't. Oh, we uh, we got to listen to that one, and because that was fascinating, I was just like, "Wow!" I I have learned a lot actually in the past few years, especially you know, like you said, reading. So I'm fascinated with your story. Keep going. You said you so you were in Martin Luther King. Um, you you saw the pivot with him and Malcolm X. Uh, continue your story. Yeah, and, and and that that sparked my interest even more because you know there wasn't you know why did they get assassinated right when they started getting into economics. Because, you know, maybe that's, you know, a source 
a source that's not really being fully tapped into by the masses, you know, by the 99%. You know, you know, it's, it's a lot of different levers you can push to make change, but I think that's the ultimate lever is economic, you know, evolution or economic protests or whatever, you know, whatever, you know, term you want to use for it. But, um, mm-hmm. but so I was thinking, okay, they, they, they had a strong impact without the internet. Imagine if they had the internet and that's what, that really woke me up. And I was seeing like, you know, this was around a time when Facebook and Twitter was growing, you know, growing like crazy. And I was like, hmm, what if there was a way where these, you know, this tech bait, it would have, you know, these uh, activists had a way to utilize technology to help uh, accelerate their impact. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to somehow, some way fuse the two of them, you know, uh, social change and technology. I didn't know how yet, but I said, that's when I get out, that's, that's what I'm going to put all of my time and effort into and learn about that and then learn how to implement it. Um, so once I got out, um, you know, I kind of went on a you know self-directed learning journey where I used to go to Barnes and Nobles every day. Couldn't afford the books, so I used to bring like a you know my little journal and take notes in them. I you know read so many books, you know I couldn't afford them, you know so I used to you know sorry I used to just you know type in their name and put download free PDF and just read all the books. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel um, you. Of <laughs> uh, you know subscribing to you know all these different kinds of blogs and getting real time information about the the topics I was interested in you know and learning about. So I'm just learning. I'm just like this is stuff. This is like I'm learning. It's like a a lot of data download in my brain, like every day. So I'm just like, wow. And then um, I saw uh, this documentary called uh, Zeitgeist, mm-hmm. and that's how I learned about the Federal Reserve and how you know the economics, how the game is rigged in that way. And it kind of made me feel depressed because I was like, you know. You know what, what? What? What can we do? You know they control. You know, you know the powers that be control the money, and money really controls. You know almost everything that we do. So, what can we do? And then I came across a way. Well, I came up. Then I came across alternative economics. Alternative so economics. The, yes. Okay. And, and the first concept, or in alternative economics, I learned about was social entrepreneurship. And I learned about that through uh, Muhammad Yunus. Muhammad Yunus. And that's, yep, that's the one that's actually on my birthday. That's how I found out about social entrepreneurship. Because I was like, I don't know what to call this. This is crazy. And I don't watch TV, but it so happened to be on a cable access program. And I heard the Muhammad Yunus social entrepreneurship because someone had just said, you know, the things you talk about, you sound like Muhammad Yunus. I'm like, I don't know who that is. And I didn't even look it up. And then when I heard that, I'm like, wow. So same inspiration, same inspiration. Yes. Okay. So Muhammad Yunus. Yes. I was the same way. I was like, I wanted to, you know, create a company that, you know, provide a lot of value to the market, but also, you know, use that, as a way to, you know, push forward with social change. And that's when I, you know, that's when I learned about the term, learned, you know, reading this article about him. And I was like, wow. And this took me down a rabbit hole. So after social entrepreneurship, I learned about worker cooperatives. Because I always thought about that. I was like, you know, what if there was a way, if you go into a McDonald's, 
and you know the cashier somehow got a small percentage of the, the transaction you just made with them, mm-hmm. or just imagine that was like in every business or you know or a majority of businesses there would there would be literally no poverty, and you know I started researching you know uh, um, what is it Mon Dragon yes Mon yes Dragon, uh, <laughs> in Spain mm-hmm. and how. In their town, it's like it's like the poverty levels are super not not super. It's very low compared to America. Let's say that mm-hmm. because that's the the majority of the economy is cooperative based business. Cooperative based businesses. All right, let me let, let's go back again because um, you know whoever there's many different people listening to this. From your perspective, I want to know about. Uh, what is social entrepreneurship to you? And then we'll go to worker cooperatives. I want you to explain those from your perspective. What is a social entrepreneur and what's, you know, this type of. Let's see. Someone that realizes that there's a social problem. So, for example, you know, it can be, you know, lack of access to resources or lack of opportunity or, you know, um, um, you know, energy, water, like they see some, they re, they realize some kind of social problem. And instead of just using donations to help, you know, drive impact. Like a nonprofit, you mean, rather than, yes. so, so nonprofit. So there's two ways. Let me say that a nonprofit would do it by donations or, you know, yes. you know, I'm going to donate to you. Um, and then the second, or really the first, where we go to would be venture capital make, you know, a big gigantic company, you create something, uh, correct? Mm-hmm. Two ways to and make money. Yes. So it's, it's just, you know, you're creating a, a venture to create wealth and make social change at the same time. That's my perception of it. Um, you know, some people, you know, call a nonprofit social entrepreneurship, you know, too, if, you know, they, um, you know, they, they rely on grants for, you know, their salary and things like that, and they got to pitch people to you know raise funding. So it's similar, you know, uh, tactics in a sense. But I think I think there's more flexibility in uh, the hybrid approach compared to just a strictly nonprofit approach. Right, and there's many different names you know we could discuss. I I call it, I call the two social enterprise. The definition I have is social enterprise, which is you know yeah you um, create a company or a business or a product or service based upon only the need um, that people need, not because it's a good idea because the margins will be <laughs> huge, mm-hmm. large margins, but because it's going to have an impact on communities uh, locally and on a mass scale, you know, or, or yeah. at least, you know, um, your community. And you build the model from there and any sort of, uh, you know, revenues or surplus because, you know, that's the yeah. whole idea of profit. Surplus, we call profit, surplus is surplus than what you need for your company. You need to pay your employees. Uh, you want to make sure they're taken care of. You want to make sure that they have access to things. That, to me, is true creating a business and making sure that the local community around you is being taken care of or that you're solving some problem there. That, to me, is a social enterprise. And then anything over the top of that the, the, that you make for your business, your business plan, is called profit or surplus. And then make that sustainable. Give, give some back to a, you know, your community or to other people, and you, you can share it with um, you know, investors if you had that. That, to me, is a social enterprise. Or that, yes. That's social. Yes. <laughs> I agree. I concur. Okay. And so what is a community? You said the cooperative. Yes. I call it. Yeah. So 
there's different forms of cooperatives. So, you know, one type is worker cooperative where, you know, it's a, you know, they have, uh, I forgot the exact, um, they have like a, sorry, my memory's shot for the moment. They have, there's like a standard for cooperatives that they go by. I forgot the exact name, but it's like, um, uh, let me, I'm, I'm drawing a blank for the moment, but, um, essentially it's, the workers share in the surplus and the, the, the voting and decision-making process. Mm-hmm. That's essentially the, the main core of it, in a sense. Um, but it's also a way where, you know, more human-based approach compared to just, you know, profit-based approach. Um, caring more, you know, labor I, take, I feel, I think it, labor is more important than capital, in a sense. Labor controls capital compared to capital controlling labor, mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, it's more democratic, I think, than a traditional corporation. I look at it, if you want to, I like using analogies. I look at, I look at the traditional corporation as like a triangle, and I look at a cooperative like a circle. Mm, I like that. Mm-hmm. Like a circle. Um, I, and I so, use analogies a lot. That's how I like to explain stuff. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, well, tell us, tell me about what you see. Okay, if it, the corporation, if it's a triangle, what does that mean? What is in the corporation? What does it? What does that mean? Not that a cor- triangle is uh, bad. I use that. I use triangles a lot. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But you mean? Explain to me your like pers- hierarchy. Okay, so like a hierarchy. hierarchy. Where it's like you know the it's a concentration of of um, surplus and decision making. Uh, Decision making in a small amount of people usually. In the cooperative top. is more decentralized. Okay, so let, let's say in a corporation um, or you know biz, business, it would be everything is central centralized at the top. The 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 decision making, um, the money, the power, everything. That's where it happens. Yes. And. Uh, yes. Down in the other levels, as you go, you know, I won't call it that, but that's what it is. You basically have less power, less access to resources, uh, less money, less decision-making power. Yeah, and, you know, yep. Yep, and I think more and more, uh, I I say, I, I like using games a lot, game analogies. Yeah. I think... In the traditional corporation, only a small amount of people play in the capital game. You got the capital game and the wages game. Mm, I, the I wages. like that. The capital game and the wages game. Okay, tell us what the game is about. Cut, lay it out. We got a story. I hear a story coming on. <laughs> so I look at like the wages game is kind of like you're taxed higher with wages than capital. Um, like capital gain, like you know, get your capital gain. Like so, say you make money from your investment. That's a capital gains tax, and that's taxed lower than, say, a person that's an employee, in a sense. So that's how, you know, how they're saying, um, you know, some billionaires are being taxed, you know, lower mm-hmm. than, you know, a secretary. Mm-hmm. Capital gains tax. But in the wages game, you get taxed more, and um, there's less risk, so there's less reward, in a sense. So I feel it's more of like a ceiling. You're, you're kind of capped playing the... Uh, the wages game and the capital game, you tax less and you have an opportunity to uh, participate in the surplus more than employees. But as you know, employees still can, you know, get stock options, stuff like that. I just see, 
I don't want to say this in the wrong way. I look at <laughs> say it, say it. I, I, I look at being an employee as a way to oh. as a launch pad to help people, you know, gain experience and gain financial resources to, to you know create their own ideas or their own enterprises in a sense, mm-hmm. or join a startup in a sense. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm more. Uh, I'm less risk averse than than most people, so you know, I'm not I'm not judging nobody that enjoys being playing the wages game and the capital game. I just I I just understand how the game works, and the game is rigged in favor of the, in playing the capital game than the wages game. So hence, some people you know are happy playing the wages game as long as you're happy. If you're happy playing, as long as you're happy playing the game, that's all that really matters. But I feel there's a lot of people unhappy in the wages game, and they're not. Uh, they need some guidance on how to get in the, the, the capital game and, you know, uh, and use that capital to help make themselves uh, get access to more options and more opportunities and help their families and stuff like that. So. Okay. So uh, to that point, because, again, there's so much, so much that we I mean, and we're going to continue to this will be this will be a series you know to to okay. that's what this is all about, about teaching ourselves, you know, our different perspectives. Um on what we can do, solutions, to, so we can take action and do that and support. And so, um, like I said, there's a lot in there, and, you know, you put out some great points, and we'll discuss those. We'll create, you know, uh, um, a discussion on that, you know, on various sites and on what. So um, so wages, game, capital, game, uh, the capital game. So in this game that you're, you're, you're you know, this overall game you're, you're, you're discussing, the storyline, there's two different players, so to speak. Um, uh, and no wonder why people want to, you know, you know, they being rich, being famous, getting into that capital game or the capitalism is good. Then you have people who are, you know, absolutely anti-capitalism. And a lot of people will call those people communist or then they're socialist. And, you know, there's all sorts of names. Um, You wrote something in in your book uh, that I want you to talk about as well. about that, about you know, the different areas, capitalism, hardcore capitalism, and then you got socialists over here, because you're talking about solutions. So tell me your perspective on the the isms that are out there, and you know, are those our only choices, or is there something else? Um, okay, uh, I see socialism, communism is more of where the uh, the government has more control of the economy than private enterprise. Um, uh, that's communism. A way to mix, oh yeah, communism and socialism, where you know the the government has like a you know a, a big control on how the economy operates. Is that where, where resources are allocated? Okay, let me ask a question on that because everybody says this because you know people have different definitions for things, semantics. Um, I don't see communism and socialism as the same thing, and then you have capitalism. Are you putting those together, or are you kind of you know what's your take on that? Well, the, I feel the original. The, the, I think the original um, aim of communism was kind of like the family, and then it got co-opted, and it became more of like the government is is your family now. So <laughs> that's what I mean when I was lumping communism and socialism in the same, uh, in the same, and nearly in the same lump. But the original, I, I feel the original aim of communism is like creating a family, like you know your family. And 
with your family, you're not really thinking about who owes what to each other because, you know, that's your sister, that's your brother. But when you start interacting with more, when the circles are getting bigger and bigger, it's hard to track who owes what to each other if you're exchanging resources with a lot of people. So then that's where, you know, the, the other phase of communism come in, what I'm talking about, where, you know, it's kind of like the government becomes your family in a sense. Right. Or you're, you're in a family, or how do you say this, become more dependent on government resources than, you know, private resources. So I'll, I guess that's the, because that, that can be a whole conversation in itself too, but that's my uh, interpretation of communism and socialism. Okay. Uh, the You know, the original aim again of communism is starting, you know, with the family. If the family gets start getting too big, it's hard to track who owes what with each other. So then you need a, you know, a, a centralized um, organization come and help manage resources. And mm-hmm. then there's ways to co-op that, like, you know, what happened in Russia and China and, you know, a lot of other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that started adopting the capitalism model because they were seeing how it's creating a lot of wealth. And, uh, you know, if you think about it, capitalism has created, you know, it gave a lot of people access to resources that, nor, you know, before only people that was rich or were, you know, um, you know, in the royal family that, you know, they, they didn't have access to mass, you know, there was no mass production. So all the stuff that we take for granted now, you know, back in, you know, back in hundreds and hundreds of years ago, only the rich had that. But then capitalism came in and, you know, uh, mass production came about. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I feel any extreme, I think right now we're in a capitalism extreme right now. And it's more financial capitalism where, you know, most of the value being created in our economy is not based on, you know, real wealth or real, you know, production from people. It's like the financial capitalism is like people just swapping papers or pushing numbers and numbers being created on screens. And, you know, it was saying the financial industry, you know, I think it's up to like 40, 45% of GDP. Hmm. So, you know, that's not real wealth in a sense. So that's a whole other conversation. That's a whole <laughs> conversation See, itself. But, we, yeah, but, we have all these huge conversations that actually I want to break down. You know, I mean, there's, you know, people that are into into this stuff like us, you know, they, they get it. Um, we're not saying anything new, but except having a different conversation on a personalized level, but other people don't. And, you know, that's what these, um, you know, these talks are all about is to give people a little bit more insight about what's going on from different perspectives so we can take action. Um, because, you know, we've been talking about things and I say we as a, as a culture, as a, you know, uh, as a nation, as a planet, you know, for a long time, it is time to take action, real action, not, uh, fighting action, not, um, uh, um, you know, I want a war against you action, but action to do something to make the change. And um, I mean, like I said, we have so many more things to talk about, like your book. Tell us a little bit about your book before we go, because uh, and, and then, of course, we'll come back and, and we'll have many more conversations. But you you out of all this. So you you've been you're a social entrepreneur now. Yay. <laughs> um, you know, like I said, having someone else, you know. You know, that was that was key for me during that time when I was like, I feel so alone. And I have because, you know, because 
uh, it's a challenge and you, you're doing things to create and people are like, what are you doing? What's going on? And, and you know, you, they want to lump you into this. Well, you want venture capital. Okay. What, you know, what's your 32nd pitch? You know, is it sustainable? What's your sustainability plan? You know, and it's like, oh my God. I mean, we're like, I can show you numbers and crunch stuff. I mean, I get it. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a business person, but this is about helping people. And, you know, so you get in a challenge, you're like, wow, the the venture capitalists, they they want that money. I mean, that's the game they're playing. I'm not trying to say yeah. that there's something wrong with that, okay? I'm saying it doesn't work uh, for what I envision and what I envision uh, us as a planet, not just as me or people, but as a planet doing, um, going into this new time that we're moving into. That's not how the the world can function anymore. Um, it's It's not sustainable. The way we've been doing are managing our resources uh, or the economy. The economy, you know, economy means, you know, management of a household, you know, and we're not managing our household well at all with what we see there. We are in, you know, disastrous mess with our climate and our environment that no one wants to see. You know, we don't want to see underneath our cities how all the crap goes underneath. We don't really want to know what's happening. You know, we don't, we don't really know. We don't want to know, um, you know, uh, how much pollution, you know, are farming uh, animals and everything and because people are making money from those crops, what it's yeah. doing to the planet. We don't want to see it. We want to just give it to me on my table. I always go back to that, that guy in the Matrix when he was like, you know what? I want to remember nothing. <laughs> and he was eating that steak. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he was like, I don't remember nothing. And I know what that feels. I get it. You know what I mean? You're, yeah. you're like, when you yeah. start finding out the realities of what's going on, you feel like you oh, want wow. to just like, I, I can't take this. And I understand. Um, yeah. And that's why I feel like, you know, we are here, uh, myself, you know, and us is, is to help us through this transition that it actually, you guys, it's going to be all right. We've been, there's, there's people like us that have been out here for a long time and, uh, we've been working. It might seem to people, you know, undercover or we've been hiding, <laughs> but really we've, we've been here. We've, we, it's just people don't recognize, you know, social entrepreneurship. How come you're not working? Why don't you just go get a job? Um, I, I know you've heard that. You know. Yeah, I heard it a lot. I heard it a lot. <laughs> I just, you know, I value my time and freedom more than money. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just how I operate. And I told myself, uh, it's been since February 2010. I said I'm never working for no one ever again. That's the last time I worked for somebody. So, and I believe, and that was around a time when I first learned about the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. And I was reading about it, and then it's it's just. It's like a movie when you just start seeing that happen in your life. It's just it's so wild. Now I'm used to it now, but back in from 2010 to 2000, I say 14-ish, those four years, it was just like, whew. Now it's just, I'm used to it now. When you think something and it just happens, or you meet, you talk about somebody, and you just meet, you know, you see them or come across them the next hour, the next day. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a hell of a journey so far and still pushing through. Gotta keep uh keep at it. Keep okay. at it. You know? So what are you working on? What's your what's your project that you're working on that you're um looking to I don't like to use the word get funded, but uh to find support for you know, collaboration, collaborative um a collaborative situation. Uh what are you looking okay. yeah, what are you working on right now that that you wanna speak about? Sure. 
Um, well, I'm going to go back real quick. Uh, back in back during those times when I wrote my book and then I was uh, created like an organization that was related to the economic model. I created I created an economic model. I call it Producism, and I wrote a book about it um, called Producism, A New Game for a New Economy. And I wanted to turn that book into software. And that, you know, uh, created a, a company we call Producia. It was a, a virtual incubator to help college students at Virginia Commonwealth University build social enterprises. But you're doing it with like a collaborative and crowdsourced approach. Mm-hmm. But during that time, we, uh, we faced challenges such as our target audiences not being aware of social entrepreneurship and how to, what crowdsourcing is. We was kind of like ahead of the curve in Richmond because Richmond's kind of slow to new things. And then um, also handling the capacity to manage the community ourselves. It was just me and my partner, Alicia. It's like thousands of uh, VCU students. But we were getting a lot of interest from other organizations who wanted to have like their own producer-like site or their own producer-like web portal that, you know, for their own programs. And we felt that we can provide more value to to them, at, you know, by being a technology and a consultant provider instead of trying to sense, uh, manage a centralized community. Mm-hmm. And thus our current project, uh, Work, was born. So Work is spelled W-R-K without the O. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to reimagine what work is or reimagine what innovation is. Um, work is an innovation management platform that helps startup programs vet, fund, launch, and analyze projects in an engaging way in one place, but do it all under your own brand. Mm. And we um, we tailor your portal to, you know, your your brand and your organizational goals. And our social mission is to help diversify the innovation economy. Um, so, you know, there's some studies saying only like 2% of employees at top tech companies are, you know, black, only 3% are Hispanic, and only 30 to 40% are women. Mm-hmm. We feel that's a group that, you know, um, is on the rise as far as population and, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, purchasing power and things like that. So we want to get them into technology by, um, you know, provide a value to start the startup ecosystem, fund this program to help teams get into, you know, technology and social entrepreneurship. I love it. I love it. Totally in line with, you know, what I'm doing, we're doing, uh, you know, I, I, my, my biggest thing is, um, you know, and I'm, we're going to, we'll, we'll leave on this note is collaboration. And so that's what this is all about. So I'm going to be, we're going to be doing more of these interviews, more of these talks, um, as they move along and they'll be launching soon. But, um, this is all about a community building program. And so I'm going to, we're going to do synthesis work. I don't know if you know that term that, you know, I downloaded a long time ago, polysynthesizers, you know, um, artistic innovators who can design, um, uh, new social systems, but basically they can combine different elements uh, into whole self-sustained, you know, systems for the benefit of humanity. And, you know, that's what I think is when I say a social, a true, a social entrepreneur, that's what Mm -hmm. I say the leaders are. And, and, and I, I recognize that talent in you, that spirit in you, um, you know, uh, in myself and in, in others, I'm not saying that everybody has that leading capacity, uh, but I've been watching you over the years and, you definitely are that and you have that. And, you know, uh, what I'm going to seek here to do is to join us all together, you know, a, a small group yeah. of us, um, so okay. that we can support one another 
and help one another because we really do all have the same vision. Um, so it's just how do we how do we maneuver that? How do we do this? You know, not socialism, but I call them you know com- you know cooperative communities. How can we operate? you know, in these pods, groups, and clusters, and in these cooperative communities um, as a whole, you know. And so by sharing our information, sharing our, and open sourcing it, okay, people are so afraid of sharing their idea, you know. Um, And I understand, I was too, you know, because I really, the only reason why I didn't want to share things is because I didn't want um, someone to bastardize it or to use it for uh, something um, out of integrity, not so much, oh, I won't have any money, you know, um, uh, you know, I've been not having that for a, a while. That's all. And that's all going to change. You know, that's changing um, because uh, we're moving into something new. And so I I'm putting that out there because that's what this is about. And so um, I'm going to say it, you know, out to the universe, you know, that we I'm here to support you. We are. And um, I, I am. Um, my desire is that we we start all working together that are social entrepreneurs um, and finally do this thing. I mean, when I say finally, get out to the open and go, all right, we are, we, we do have the power. We, we're not the, I don't say, oh, you're the 99%. You're, you're the 100% absolutely. You have 100% power over your being. You have 100% power in creating your reality. Not one person, not some one little measly percent that has this thing called money has power over you. Um, we can create entirely new systems now. It is everything that we need is right here before us. Um, what it takes is for us to finally be unified and work together. And so... I'm saying let's do it. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Let's do it, bro. All right. <laughs> Drew, like I love, said, this is love your energy. Love yeah. your energy and love your spirit. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's been an inspiration to me as well too, watching what you've been doing. So well, thank everything you. you're saying about me is back to you because I just love, you know, you seeing someone else like a reflection of yourself and both of y'all can push each other and things like that. So Mm, thank you. I appreciate you. I do. I appreciate you greatly, and it and it feels good. So I'm ready. I, I I'm coming out of the closet with all this stuff. I keep saying that because that's what it feels like. I'm just like, okay, it's time. Um, and yes. you know, I'm not going to be afraid of people. You know, getting shot. That time is over. We're done. We got this. Mm-hmm. We're together. We, yeah. we we got this. And so uh, I'm looking forward to this, Drew. So this is just the first of many. And thank you for for talking to us today. And we'll we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks for having me. All right. You take care, buddy. You've been listening to the Open Door podcast series. The Open Door is part of the Cocoon, the creative action centers of online open source networks. Tune in weekly, where we share ideas on consciousness, health, and creativity. Together, we are taking action where the 99% transform into 100%.